It's time for the Hadit.com radio show. Hadit.com radio is an in-depth look at all things VA. If you need help with the VA, log on to Hadit.com. Now, here's your host, Gerald Cook. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, uh, on this... uh, I don't even know what day it is. On this seventh day of February 2014... Uh, we're here for the Gay Bachelor Hour, and uh, I want to give you all our call-in number. It's 347-237-4819. Now, this call-in number, once again, is 347 237 and uh, our co-host here, uh, well, our, our host today is Gay Basser. And uh, Stretch is our technician. How are you doing there, uh, 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 John? How are you doing today? I'm doing pretty good. Gerald, how's everybody doing today? Well, I'm doing all right here in Missouri. It's cold as the dickens, about usual. Uh, Y'all got some snow coming in, don't you? Yes, we do. We got a little bit of snow and ice on the ground yet. And we talk like we have some more. Uh, maybe get some today. That's so, true. Uh, I, I can imagine I really sympathize with those poor folks back east. Uh that's gotten it so heavy, and there's a lot of them out of power, I, I understand now, and that's not good at all. No, that's not good at all. we got a lot of places out of power. There's a, of course, up in the Northeast, they've got it pretty bad. I've seen Philadelphia had a lot of power problems because they asked on them last week. Yeah. So, uh, you know, everybody just hang in there. It'll get better. It'll get better. Spring will be here in March sometime. Well, that's hope. Yeah. No, this is uh, probably one of the worst winters I've ever seen. You know, I, mean, I live right in the middle part of the country, and it's uh, I've never seen, you know, we've had a lot of ice, constant ice and snow. It's nothing, you know, that usually when it snows, it leaves. But this time, it's uh, pretty sad. It's, pretty sad. It's stayed with us. It's really put a hurt on a lot of people. You know, and the price of this, Fuel has went up. Uh, butane, my land, is, what, $5 a gallon? Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, that's a horrible thing. Well, the speculators have announced that there's a shortage on butane. And uh, so what that entails is, uh, you know, that uh, they've got everybody sweating, sweating the load. Sweat pumps are on high because, oh, no, we have a shortage of butane because the speculators said so. That automatically causes the the prices to skyrocket. Yeah. This wasn't done by any overnight deal. This was done by somebody wanting to make money. Same thing with the gasoline. Yep, so. Whatever little money's out there, uh, they're sure making it on real butane now. As soon as they get rid of the speculators, we'll be a lot better off. (laughs) Yeah. It's all about patting their pockets. Uh, shouldn't be betting on people's uh, bringing harm down on people. And you look at the politicians and things like that, and you try to, it'd be nice to see what they invest in. You know, if they invest in oil and gas and butane, you know why the price is up. Yeah. You know, so that's a... Sure. But no, anyway, I was looking. we were going to uh, discuss some some problems here with run across with the VA. Uh, where they keep wanting to change their their rules. And mm-hmm. I land that that makes it pretty uh doggone rough on a on a veteran. Uh you you go thinking uh something's this way or you might read it, you know, in the CFRs. Uh 
say, well, that's what this says, and then the VA comes back and says, well, that's not our interpretation. Uh, we say we feel like uh, uh, here's the way we interpret that, uh, mm-hmm. and uh, so what's a poor veteran to do, John? I don't know, but uh, this is a story published yesterday. Um, February the 6th, 2014, it's a military.com story. I think it's uh, BJ, the person that did it. Uh, pretty good pretty good article. It says the allies of the Department of Veteran Affairs have directed some tough love at the agency on Wednesday, accusing its leadership of playing games with Congress and creating policies to make the claims backlog look healthier than it actually is. Okay, now this is allies to the VA. So this means uh, an ally to the VA would be a veteran service group, a VSO organization. They're allies to the VA, right? Uh-huh. Okay, so I guess the Axis has taken over. <laughs> uh, it says that panelists drawn from several VSOs. Okay, they took several VSOs and took people from each organization. They got together and they criticized the VA defining claims in order to make the backlog appear small and shrinking and for proposing to process some claims faster than others as it pushes its electronic system. Well, I can understand the VA pushing its electronic system because things in the computer do make things go faster. And there's not, you know, you don't have to go through those stacks of 20 foot of paperwork for each veteran. I agree with that. That needs to be done. Okay. Now, what you see is a cold-blooded assessment by VA officials that they cannot achieve their goals under the current standards. Then they will change the rules to achieve their goals. And that came from the VF uh, Veterans of Foreign Wars. Uh, Gerald Minar is his name. He's a deputy director. Uh, <clears throat> the VA dep- deputy undersecretary for field operations Open to testimony by knowing that the VA has reduced the claims backlog by 35%. Okay, now that's a pretty good size reduction. All right, now we've had a uh, SVR show here, or had a dot com radio show, excuse me for that. We had uh, Paul Sullivan on, he gave us a little information about this 35%. You remember that information, Gerald? Yes, I sure do. Uh, it seems like whenever they uh, uh, drop the, uh, you know, whatever they're behind, whenever they drop it, uh, 35%, the appeals process uh, just has to go up 35%. So uh, it's pretty wishy-washy, and... I don't know. It, it, to me, it looks like we're getting further and further behind. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, actually, I don't see no end to it. I, I don't know what they're going to do. They, they're going to have to change their mechanics uh, here somehow. Uh, but uh, it... Um, it, it just don't look promising. I think we have a caller from the 505 area code. Oh, a caller? Is you in there? You, uh, you have a question or a comment? Hey, this is uh, Thomas again. <clears throat> oh, hi, Thomas. How are you doing? Hey. Good. How are you doing? Uh, doing hey, great. Hey. Uh, you have hey, a Tom, question? Tom, Thomas, turn on your volume on your... On, on your uh, Computer, if you can, or mute oh, volume. Oh, I'm my phone. Okay, we got it now. We're fine. You go ahead now. Okay, okay. Well, I was just calling uh, um, to give you a little bit of update. I, I on my case, uh, remember I was denied the t- uh, TDIU. Um, we we'll have a meeting. Um, I guess my VSO had asked for reconsideration. Mhm. And and uh, they set up a meeting with the raider um, to to go over. Uh, what I feel was wrong in that whole rating letter, and 
I figured I'd ask you, John, because you, you said it took you like 14 years. Uh, and I'm sure you probably had a meeting like that before, but I, I just don't want to go into that meeting like and be caught off guard by, you know, my VSO says don't worry, you know, everything's there. But it just feels like when we're not prepared, that's when we get hammers. Right, right, I understand. Um, when, are you, when are you going into the meeting? Uh, next uh, next week, uh, next uh, Thursday. And I take it you already have a denial letter in your hands. That what I'm th- was, uh, that's what I'm that's what I'm yeah, thinking, right? Yeah, exactly. This is a what uh, a reconsideration. Right now, you need to right. ask your VSO. You need to write this down. Ask your VSO the following two questions. Okay. Okay. The first question you ask your VSO: This person you're meeting with. Okay, is this a decision review officer? A DRO. Okay. And the reason being is once you have a denial in your hands, just a regular writer, I do not think, is able to turn the decision around. It has to be somebody higher level like a DRO because they can actually change the decision. Okay. Understood? Yeah, um, and, and if they say, no, it's just a writer, I don't know. Go ahead and go. I mean, that's, you know, I mean, it's always a chance you can do things like that, but hopefully... Okay. You know they'll work with you. Uh, depends on what office you're going to. Uh, you mind if you you mind tell us what 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 area you live in? Well, I'm in Albuquerque. Yeah, Albuquerque, New Mexico. Yeah, yeah. Cool. That's a nice place. Yeah. Um. And, um so, and that, I guess we're really, you know, they said they have a good relationship with them, which always. Mm-hmm. You know, I guess that's good, and it kind of makes me a little suspicious at the same time. Mm, no, actually, I mean, I see things like this occasionally. It sounds like you have a pretty good VSO. Okay. It sounds like you've got a pretty good one. They're going with you, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, they're going to be there. Yeah. Okay. Um, now, hopefully you go there and they'll see your issues. The biggest thing is for them is to actually see you in your current condition. Okay. Okay. That's the biggest issue is for them to see you in your current condition. Um, a lot of folks, you know, if they go in, uh, say, especially a lot of folks with really bad back problems, things like that, you know, they go in in a wheelchair or they go in using a cane or something like that, you know. I mean, it, it's good for them to see you. And right. so, go ahead oh, and go. Yeah, I, I, oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, I'm definitely going to go, but um, I just didn't know if there's, like, anything, like, if you – you know, I guess uh, being prepared, uh, if I should take on, like, what, what, you know, what I should take with me or, or just show up. And see. Now, do you have uh, any documentation of any doctor saying that you can't work, that you're not able to work? Yeah, yeah. Well, that, well, that was in my evidence that was submitted uh, okay. for my claim. You, you have a copy of that, right? Yes. Make another copy of it and take it with you. And uh, I think it'll work out pretty good, you know, as long as you got the, as long as you've got the paperwork. Uh, evidence wins claims, okay? okay. And uh, Albuquerque is really a pretty good regional office. You know, I mean, they're not as uh, say they're, they're, you compare Albuquerque to like Waco or uh, or another place down there in Texas, and it's uh, you know it gets a lot more stars than they get. Cause a lot of places are nightmares, but uh, no, I think you're on the right track. So like uh, uh, one more one more thing like if they so like you know that word we always hear about uh, competency if that yes, if something like that comes up is that be a concerning thing or is that just what's what's your gas score what's that oh it's what's uh, the gas score forty eight I don't think there'll be any competence issues in there I mean as long you know as long as you if you have enough the doctor states you can pay your bills and stuff like that and you, if you do things like that and you're okay. Uh, I've seen some veterans with lower gas scores, you know, that still pay their bills, get totally, you know, get messed up because they decide to, you know, assign a fiduciary. But uh, in your case, I don't think so. As long as you've got documentation that they're saying that you can pay your own bills, it's okay. But but if, but if something like that did come up, that'd be the place to to try to stop it before it got too far along, you know what I mean? Yeah, you could probably nip it in the bud right there, or even if they propose it, you know, you can always fight it, because uh, um, it's that that issue, I mean, it's always something. You know, if 
everything's done because this meeting is going to be uh, informal. It's not going to be no big formal affair. Uh, you know, it's just uh, you sit back with your uh, representative and you're talking to the VA on the other side of the table, and he'll listen to what you have to say and he'll take notes and things like that. Uh, if it's, they might record it. And uh, if you know, I've known some folks that uh, have gone through these, and uh, one guy was very similar to yours, and he won. And uh, so it's a good thing that they're going to have it, and that it actually happened this fast. I mean, how long have you had the denial letter in your hand? Uh, well, I got it uh, like November. Mm, that's uh, really fast. Yeah, it's from November of 2003, but I, you know, it. it it was just so crazy for me to read that I got, you know, talked to VSO about it right away. Okay, now are you married? Yes. Okay, is your wife going with you? Yes. Okay, that's a good thing. That's a good thing. Yeah, well, my wife's my uh, caregiver with the, with, through the VA hospital, so. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so that's, that's good. That's really good. I think you're on the right track. I think go to the hearing. I mean, you know, go to the meeting. And uh, talk to him and let your VSO do his job, He'll, you know, and things like that, and answer the questions they ask you. Uh, you know, they'll ask you to explain some stuff like that. It might be a little bit, uh, you know, a stressful situation, you know, because most of these things are, you know, we have anxiety, and especially something like this, you know, it really it cooks us a little bit. But now go ahead and go through with it, and, uh, you know, when it's over and you get your decision, and, and then, you know, you have to go from there. But uh, there's ways... There are ways, you know, to combat stuff too, but uh, I don't really worry about that because it seems like they're trying to do work positively, you know, to help you. Well, so like um, when when you get like uh, when you ask for reconsideration, is that kind of like a that's kind of like your notice of disagreement, I guess. At the at the same time, I mean, I, I know it's not called a notice of disagreement. Well, but. basically, there's two types of reconsideration. Uh, Anytime you get a denial letter, you can you can write and notice disagreement, and you can actually request reconsideration, and that will you know, and you can make that uh, it's called like a de novo review. You know what that means? Um, not really. De novo a de novo review means uh, it's more or less a complete and entire record inspection check. Okay, and. Uh, <clears throat> it means they go through the entire evidence folder and things like that. And if you request a you know a hearing with them, meeting with them, that's fine. You can go in and you can discuss it. You know, the, you can discuss it with them, and they can either you know they can reverse a decision in a hurry. And so that's of course you're still within the time limit too. You know, because you've got a year after your denial to to notify your paperwork. So if they comes back and they still deny it, then go ahead and write another notice of disagreement and. and you kind of know that uh, you need to get it out of there. At that time, uh, talk to your VSO and ask them a couple of questions. Ask them, uh, you know, how inept are they at actually helping veterans to the next level, like the BVA or, you know, or or even the courts, because the BVA is your next step. Um, Okay. Okay. Now, the biggest issue that I see is if you have to go to the BVA, uh, I would recommend, strongly recommend at the time that you find a good VA attorney that does nothing but VA claims and knows the process. Okay. Okay. There's several of them out there to help you through the BVA. And the reason being is because the BVA loves to make, loves to remand stuff. And they'll remand it to anywhere. They can remand it back to the regional office, or they can remand it to the Pills Management Center, because you know, for further evidence gathering and things like that. Once you get to the Pills Management Center, you could be stuck in a black hole for a long time. If you have an attorney, he could possibly, he more than likely, keep it out of there. Okay, because okay, it's always a matter of law. Okay, so yeah, like so at this level, we're okay. But yep. once you file your and, and you're actually going to that board, then you definitely want to have some good representation. Mm-hmm. Like That's what you need. Top notch, I guess you'd say. And if you have to, go out and get another, get your IMO, get your IMO from an occupational specialist. 
occupational okay. therapists are the people that they're the doctors that can tell you what you're capable of doing and not doing. You know, they're mostly based on a physical standpoint for the physical injuries, but I'm sure they can intertwine the, the mental health issues too. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, let me tell you. So I, I had talked to a couple of doctors. It's strange. So I talked to a couple of doctors about getting like, uh, maybe like an IME, and it was funny because most of them said they'd give me give me a prescription for medical marijuana, but they didn't want to do uh, an IME. It's because they know what the consequences are for doing them. <laughs> What's, what is, does it reflect on them bad too, or I mean, how's that? I no, mean, it's just that uh, the hassle involved with doing one. Oh, okay. Um, it is. I mean, there's doctors that do nothing but. Okay. Yeah. There's doctors that do nothing but. Now I know. I know a doctor that's got a person that does that. So what you do is you uh, when this thing goes south, you call me. Okay. You go ahead and shoot me a PM on had it, and I'll, I'll, I'll put you. In, I'll put you in his mailbox. <clears throat> wouldn't, uh, right, um, wouldn't it pay John to have a uh, what is that uh, BDQ? Well, he's already got DDQ, Joe. Oh, does he? Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, he's already... what, what happens, uh, you know, like, when, when you get your denial letter, and if you have issues that they never they never ordered uh, CMPs because they said, that, you know, they said, well, that was denied before, but it was reopened, is, is there a way to fight something like that? Like, what they do? Yeah, there is. I mean, the problem is if you've got an issue that was denied before, and it's been past the time limits. Like, say you try to reopen the claim, right. and they turn around and say you have no new material evidence, and they deny it. Then they yeah. Well, then um, go ahead. Well, if you're if you're because like a lot of the evidence I submitted uh, was new evidence that I found and sent in, but it almost seems like they didn't even you know. They didn't look at it. Yeah, they didn't look at it, so. Mm. Does it, your it, VSO... Go ahead. Can your VSO argue that point? Because it needs to be reopened if it's new material. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll probably... I'll definitely ask her about that, like, when I see her. Um, but because it's even... The VA uh, stamped it, time stamped it. Mm-hmm. So, it, so it's all there, you know. Um, There's that's two avenues like. you can go. I mean, you can did you, did you put that those issues on your nod about the new material evidence? Did you did you put that on your NOD also? No, I hadn't. Well, we what it was is uh, the I guess the, the, when they schedule these meetings, this one's just for the for the individual unemployability. Mm-hmm. And then the other ones, yeah, the other ones they they send in. Uh, for uh, decision review, I guess. Yeah, that's a DRO decision review. Uh, talk to your VSO about those and ask them how they're going to ha- ask them if they've got a plan to combat right. that. Okay, and uh, sit down with them and have them give you an idea what they're going to do. Because some of this stuff, okay. you know, some of this stuff's got some legal barriers on it. You know, if it's the time date's already passed and the evidence is in the record. And it wasn't considered to begin with, then you might have a Q claim on your hands. Okay. Well, I guess there's like, a, I guess there's pretty much like a sequence you have to follow too, or else if you get out of, yeah, you, you got to play the game. Out, <laughs> yeah, you get out of order, you get all tied up. Yeah, you got to play the game. Well, just check his hearing out, go with it, and just see what happens. And afterward, you know, post it and let us, you know, kind of let people know what's going on with it, and then. Uh, you know, I'm sure somebody's been through the same thing you're going through. Uh, it was 11,000 members. I'm pretty sure somebody's there's been there's several folks that have been through the same thing you've been through, and probably the same regional office. Okay, so well, I'm gonna keep listening to the show, guys. I appreciate it. Okay, all right, but thanks for calling in. We appreciate it. Thanks. Well, it sounds to me like he's got a, a pretty fair chance, uh, John, if they're. If they want to see him there, yeah, I mean, it all depends on uh, when he goes to the, you know, when he when, when he gets to the to the meeting, I guess, or the hearing, and uh, and it depends on who he has and 
you know, what the evidence actually says. But, I mean, I'm, you know, I feel pretty confident, you know, if they've got this hearing, they'll, they'll get something done. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know. Uh, because uh, for me, I, I would have liked something like that. Never, We never had that, so. Yeah, we never had you. Uh, I mean, his ear issues, you know, of course, ear issues are a lot more of a, on a complex nature. Yeah. You know, and it deals with stuff that people are trying to hide and things like that because of, you know, yeah. other, you know, mental health issues. If you've got it and, you know, you're actually been, you know, your stressor is the biggest thing. Yes. And uh, so, I mean, if you've got the diagnosis and things like that, eventually you're going to win your claim. You have the you know. stressors. Uh, yeah. Uh, you'll be okay. Yeah, contrary to popular belief, the VA is not that. You know, they're not all out to. to, to they're not all out to snuff the veteran. <laughs> Although it seems yeah. that way at times. Well, you know, and evidence doesn't lie. You know, you, you see what people post all the time and things like that. You know, if you deal on, if you deal with this stuff on a on a basis like, uh, you know, you hear things and you see things. You know, and you, the information you receive and you see is sporadic and you don't see it very often, you know, you're going to have a different attitude. But if you see it on the scope and scale that's actually seen by the 11,000 membership of a certain website, uh, you know, you, you kind of see there's a pattern going there. Uh-huh. And, uh, you know, numbers don't lie. No, they don't. Uh, right. And, uh, uh, you can have a complex claim, and, and uh, whenever you do that, uh, I think it's a mistake. Mm -hmm. and, and sometimes you get started off with the wrong guidance. Uh, you don't get guided properly starting off uh, where you say, let's just throw all this in here. I've got a... Uh, hang grow on toenail, my hair get, uh, won't grow, and uh, uh, my fingers hurt, and my arms hurt, and back mm -hmm. aches, and you throw all that in there, and the, and the VA's scratching their head. You wow. know, what is it? Here's, here's you a tip on uh, seeking representation. If you're going to file a claim, and you know, somebody tells you to go see a certain VSO, Veteran Service Organization, and you take your information and you all sit down and you discuss filing this claim. Uh, if this guy is in a hurry and don't want to spend the time with you, I'd get him to go somewhere else. Um, if there's issues that are not really relevant. I mean, for example, if you stub your toe or you have an ingrown toenail in service, you know, and they cut it out, I'm sure there might be some surgical benefit there, but, you know, usually ingrown toenails, uh, I don't think I've ever seen anybody lose their foot from an ingrown toenail. Have you, Gerald? No, I haven't. Uh, okay. I have, but uh, I, I've not heard of them. Right. You know, if you got major issues, you know, you put your issues out there. And, uh, you know, because it's... If you go in there and you file for 40 different items, now I've seen people do this, folks. If you file for 30 or 40 different items, it's going to take a while. You're in trouble. Yeah, so, you know, you need to, I would stick, you know, it's kind of like, uh, you know, you got to weed out, weed out what, what, what the issues are. And, uh, you know, that's one thing about getting service connection is that, uh, you know, we know what the issues are because if you're sitting there with a bad case of heart disease, you know what, you, and you know you're gonna get 100 percent for that. Then what's the reason for filing for an ingrown toenail? Yeah, but yeah, you know, right, right there, John. And that, that that hurts a lot of veterans. I mean, they get started off on the wrong foot, uh, mm -hmm. and uh, that's why uh, web websites such as had it is is. Uh, it, it uh, I think it pretty well it does a good job of guiding veterans away from these complex claims. Uh, uh, you're not going to get approved uh, for 20 different items. I mean, you know, so what? You got a 
a broken arm in service and didn't heal back right or something, or uh, and your legs crooked and uh, you got scoliosis and, and you got fifteen, twenty different things wrong with you. Uh, it's not a good idea to try to claim on pick one if you have diabetes. Claim on diabetes. Uh, now, let me let me help you out here, Gerald. Now, there are issues, uh, the three big ones being back or neck problems, hyper heart disease, and diabetes. Each one of those issues have a host of secondary issues involved to be able to get service-connected. If you've got neck or back issues and you've got nerve problems, those nerve issues should be rated separate. If you've got heart disease and you have hypertension, the hypertension has to be rated separate. And diabetes has got a whole bunch of, you know, like, for example, peripheral neuropathy from diabetes. Uh, what else we got? We've got kidney problems and things like that. But if you've got those issues, yes, file those secondary to the main issue. You know, because that still is pretty serious because the diabetes and the heart disease, that's that's what's gonna kill you. That's what's gonna you know, that's what's gonna that's what's gonna put you out put you out of the world. Well, that's true and and you have to have the uh uh the basic ones before you can you can include the secondaries, don't you, John? I mean they can approve you at the same time. Right, that's that's still yeah. But go ahead and uh, if you've got if you've got any secondaries, if you've got diabetes and you file a claim for it, and you've got peripheral neuropathy, or if you've got uh, uh, high levels of uh, <clears throat> uh, protein and things like that, and in your kidneys and things like that, yeah, you need to file that claim. Yeah, because that's a secondary that's issue. Something that's uh, yeah. they kind of fit together, so yeah, that's kind of like a puzzle, you know. But do yeah. that, uh, you know, that's one thing. That you you know, but you have to, but you have to realize, and I state again, you should know what's wrong with you. I mean, if you go to the VA or to any doctor and they tell you you've got this and that, and you know, if you can prove it's service related yourself, you know, you file your claim, do it. You know, but it's always better for the veteran to understand, study, and read. Uh, have a medical a medical person explain to you what's wrong with you, so you can understand it. I mean, a lot of stuff is in the uh, medical. Uh, language lingo and uh, there's some big scientific words in there that uh, you know it's really really difficult to even pronounce and I don't understand yeah and, that's uh, sure and you look at that and if you're especially if you're a Vietnam Air veteran Vietnam veteran in country boots on the ground Thailand or if you were on the DMZ in Korea during the Agent Orange times that they actually exposed or sprayed Agent Orange uh, there's a host of presumptives already, you know, in the system. All you have to do is prove that you were there and you have that issue that's connected to the Agent Orange. And uh, that was, uh, that's Nemer's, that was, that's the big Beverly Nemer issue when she filed the lawsuit. You know, um, you go for veterans, you know, they got Gulf War Syndrome and they've got uh, some other stuff going on. Uh, another issue from the Gulf War is burn pits. Uh, a lot of guys are getting all kinds of cancers and things like that back here from the burn pits, and uh, I haven't seen a burn pit registry or anything like that yet. Have you, Gerald? I believe they are just starting to uh, add some presumptives uh, for uh, the Gulf War veterans, but it's, mm -hmm. it's been real tough mm -hmm. on them. Uh, they've, they've had, well, it's, it's no it's it's like Agent Orange in Vietnam. Uh, look at the at all the what they went through trying to get some presumptives there for Vietnam before they they got that uh, uh, Agent Orange presumptive if if you were there. Well, and well, look how long it took them to do it, Gerald. Yeah, it took them a long time and over and, twenty years. And same way with the Gulf War veterans, uh, mm -hmm. 
and they have some very serious issues. And we have them coming back from the Middle East now uh, with some major issues. Uh, they spending so many tours over there in, in hostile territories uh, uh, that, you know, you, I just don't think it's right that they keep sending them back tour after tour after tour. I've seen some of them have 14 tours. Uh, I was reading right. there just the other day where uh, uh, a, a soldier got killed uh, 14 tours. And uh, a few days before that, there was one that had 10 tours. Now, mm -hmm. this, this is outrageous. You know, people, <clears throat> we fought World War II in the Pacific and in the Atlantic both. I don't think the uh, the guys that went in, you know, I mean, they were in different battles and things like that, but I don't think they served that many tours. Your average time in country is a lot different because most of these guys are over there with complete time in the country during those tours. You know, on the Pacific Islands in World War II, you know, they'd go take an island and uh, they'd lose a bunch of Marines and Army guys because of the, you know, the Japanese. But they'd get back on the boat and the Army would come in and mop it up. That's right. And, uh, they, you know, they send another group in somewhere else. Uh, a good point in case is in Guadalcanal. Uh, Medal of Honor winner in Guadalcanal. Uh, it was uh, Basilone. He won the Medal of Honor in Guadalcanal. They sent him back to the States. He trained Marines. And he was offered the option of going ahead and getting out or staying. And he talked him into letting him stay. So they head over to Iwo Jima, and they got off the boat, got up on the hill, and started shooting it up. And one of the first people killed was guess who? Yeah, he got it. Yep, so. that's uh, uh, Plus, you guys coming back from the Middle East, I mean, if you do that many tours over there, that just opens up your chances to see something that's really, really tragic, you know. And uh, so PTSD issues and claims like that are probably going to be very, very high when it comes to dealing with uh, those multi-tour individuals. You know, it we looks think like it's it what is, you. and uh, uh, it's... Uh, and I don't know if the VA is geared up to take care of them. Uh, there's going to be so many. Well, I think they'll, you know, eventually they'll work it out. You know, because they're going to have to. Yeah, but again, it's not going to be. Uh, it's not going to be as uh, good as, uh, you know, like say. Uh, it's not going to be. It's, it's not, and it's going to take time. So I'm going to say it's. You know, they're going. You know, the time seems like everything's reactive instead of proactive in the system. And uh, you know, they uh, don't take uh, care of something until it's almost too late. I mean, being uh, seems like that's our entire society. We're always reactive instead of proactive. You know, because they don't want to waste the money and spend the money until it happens. You know, that's bit us in the butt more than one time. It happened in December 7th, 1941. Uh, it happened uh, September 11th, 2001. And we knew they were here. We knew what they were doing, but our government didn't co communicate with each other, and look what happened. Yeah. So uh, that's that's it in a nutshell. I mean, it's, uh, you know, if we were proactive and, and got things done, I think we'd be a lot better off. You know, and send these kids over overseas uh, 10 to 15 times uh, shouldn't happen. Should never happen. Should never happen. I mean, and a lot of these kids are just National Guardsmen, okay? They wanted to go in and get their education paid for, so they joined the National Guard, and where they wind up? They went downtown Baghdad. Yeah. You know, so it's just the way it is. You know, back in Vietnam, World War II, and Korea, we had a draft. You know, the draft came through, and I'm sure people didn't want to go. If they want to go, they went to Canada. But, <clears throat> you know, we had, uh, at least we didn't have people doing umpteen million tours. And, uh, yeah. Uh, 
Yeah, it was quite a bit different. Now, I know people had spent uh, uh, multiple tours in Vietnam, but it wasn't nothing like uh, 10 or 15 tours. You know? All right. Uh, well, again, the enemy's different, too, Gerald. Yeah. You know, the enemy's different because, uh, you know, in Vietnam, you know, you had uh, mostly it was jungle warfare. And, and, too, the ones that spent multiple tours there, uh, most all of them uh, have uh, uh, psychological issues, uh, uh, PTSD, and uh, you can understand why. Uh, you know, war is a horrible thing. Yep, it is. It is, it's, you know, but... Again, for any nation to survive, sometimes you have to do that. That's you know, true, unfortunately. Yeah, so, but, you know, there's a lot of ugly things seen PTSD-related in Vietnam. There's some ugly things in the Gulf War, you know, that you've seen, or in Afghanistan. Uh, but I want to tell you something, guys, the World War II vets had it the roughest. Uh, I mean, they had it the roughest because, I mean, especially fighting the Japanese. The Japanese wouldn't give up. They were... Uh, it's either kill, you know, they, you had to take the last man. I mean, I think the in the early parts of the war, nobody surrendered. And bonsai raids and things like that. Yeah. It was just a slaughter. And then uh, especially in some of those islands, you know, when the, all those civilians were jumping off that cliff, you know, and because they were t- given bad information about how the Americans were going to treat them. You know. Yeah, so uh, women jumped off with the babies. Yeah, sure did. Uh, sure did. So it's uh, it's bad stuff. I mean, you watch this stuff, and you can watch it all day in the History Channel. It just makes you think, well, where was their PTSD claims at? Because you know they had, uh, and plus this, the scope of numbers of actual people involved. You know, because you're looking at a lot more. I mean, World War II was a long, was, was was maximum scale war. Yeah. You know, we had millions of people fighting. We had, you know, it was it was kill or be killed, and we were fighting for our existence. And believe me, if the Japanese had played their cards right, they could have come straight to the West Coast, and we wouldn't be able to stop them for a long way. I'm amazed they did. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I just it it amazed me that they didn't. Uh, they could have gotten a foothold on the West Coast. I don't think they could have held it, but they could have gotten a foothold there. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just crazy. I mean, they didn't you know, do it, so that was a terrible error on their part. Right. Which is good you thing, know. you know, for us. Well, they had a one-shot deal, and they did pretty good for about the first seven, eight months, and then... And the Battle of Midway happened, and that was it for them. Yeah, once once the Navy was taken out, it was a, uh, a different story. And then getting them out of out of uh, the Asia uh, continent there, uh, that was another big deal. Yep. So that's a kind of life in a nutshell, you know. I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of wars, and war is not a good thing. Um, you know, and you know, war is basically age discriminatory too, because I mean, you got to be a certain age to be in certain conflicts. You know, and uh, so. Well, even in in the in uh, the Middle East, Iraq, and there, uh, I've heard of some sixty-year-old uh, uh, reservist. People uh, getting killed. I mean, mm-hmm. they've called back in. That was special MOSs or something. Yeah, that's true. I mean, if you had a special MOS and uh, you know you've been out less than ten years, they can call you back. Yes. Yes. You know they can call you back. You know, and it's a. Uh, of course, you know there's a lot of, a lot of different stuff too. You know, some people have got certain jobs that the government they call back that they won't let them go. You know. I think now they're trying to do more of a contract work that they never tried before. Uh, I don't know if they did that in the Vietnam era or not. They might have uh, somewhat, but uh, 
I'm sure they played around with it some, but in yeah. in uh, the Middle East, there now they're doing a lot of contract work. I don't know yeah. how that's working out. It's something I'd, I I want to give look on that favor. I want to give a shout out today to all the sailors that served on board the USS Forrestal. That was America's first supercarrier, and of course we know what happened to Forrestal off the coast of Vietnam. You know, they had uh, military training on it. There's been shows on TV about it, especially on the military channel. There's one called the Supercarrier's Burning, which is Enterprise, and there's another one showing the the Forrestal, which we call the Forest Fire. This thing really, really, really was pretty wild when you saw it. I mean, it's happened back in the 60s. I can't remember the exact date, but they finally retired their first supercarrier. And uh, have they said what they're going to do with the boat drill? Are they going to cut it up and scrap? Are they going to make oh, them out of it? Oh, they're going to scrap it. Uh, yeah, they, they were bringing it in to scrap. And, yeah, so. Uh, which is a lot of metal there. <laughs> yeah. Well, now, rumor had it, they sold it for one cent. Oh, is that right? Yeah, That's so. Me. Who's going to make you money off that? Well, it's uh, not going to be the taxpayer. <laughs> I think they need to set up a uh, uh, company <clears throat> for the government let them scrap them. Well, absolutely. They should get money back in the coffers, the yeah. Because yeah. Uh, I'm pretty sure it costs the metal nowadays versus what it was back then. The scrap cost was probably, you know, would be probably, they'd probably get most of their production cost back on that ship. Well, they got the Corps of Engineers. I mean, why can't they use them for something like that? It's true. They uh, should. Look at all the uh, copper wire and all that in there. Are you talking about my lands? What do you think that thing be worth, scrap? Just scrap would be worth uh, quite a few million. Well, if there's a. Uh... There's a couple million pounds of copper. Why a dollar a pound? Hmm. I think copper's higher than a dollar, ain't it? Well, you're talking about, you know, I'm just going off lower prices. Yeah. Copper could be higher than that, so brass valves. Oh, yeah, brass is high. Yeah, most of them big valves, them ships are what? Well, they're all brass, ain't they? Right, electric motors? Yeah, electric motors. Mm-hmm. You can take the, take them watertight hatches off and sell them for storm shelters. Well, they'd <laughs> be excellent for a storm cellar. So yeah, watertight but, doors. Uh, <clears throat> all that's in it. Well, yes, you know, I mean, that's pretty wild. I, that I is pretty can't wild. Them just walking off, you know, that's like, <laughs> well, it's tax dollars. Well, why not uh, the government disassemble it and sell it? I'm pretty sure that would offset the cost of some of these ships, too, that we're building. Well, I don't know what they'd end up getting out of it, but it'd be in the millions. Well, yeah, they could actually recycle the metal themselves and use that metal to make new ships. You're doggone right. Mm Mm-hmm. You know. So, but that's... Never happened. Too many people got their hand in the cookie jar, and never happened. Yeah, yeah. it's unfortunate. <laughs> it's unfortunate, but that's the way it is. Yeah, <clears throat> that's the way it is. That's the way it is. But uh, we'll get back to our original line this morning. We were talking about uh, the uh, claims, the claims, and the backlog. You know, there's uh, over a million and a half claims in the entire system. Yeah. It's like 1.7 million. Yeah. That, that's <clears throat> mind-boggling. Right. So look at that top number. And, you know, if I had a tracker, if you had a tracker on that number and you see 1.7 million claims, and you can have you can divide that up into two things. You can divide that up into claims, and then you can divide that up into appeals. And if you had the numbers on top, you know, the total, and then the total number of claims 
in the process and the total number of appeals, you know, because they'll, they'll add together and they equal the top number. See if that top number goes down any. But then you look at it and see if it goes down. It usually doesn't go down that much. But what you see is the number of claims, and every day it increases because people file on claims. And then look at the number of appeals, too, and you see that increase, too. So, uh, you know, you, for sure. Now, a lot of these claims, new claims, could be uh, eliminated by the DOD taking care of the uh, uh, the military for their discharge, uh, and that would reduce the claims rate. I don't know mm-hmm. why they go ahead and muster them out. Uh, now, I think just a very few of them, maybe uh, probably your amputees uh, and things like that, don't the DOD uh, go ahead and service connect them? The DOD, will, well, the DOD can't service connect them, but what they can do is issue them a percentage and retire them. And, uh, you know, and when they retire them, I don't know what their you know rates of pay or things like that are because, you know, I don't get involved with that process too much. But, you know, they're supposed to be able to go to the VA and file their claim. And a lot of times you get a percentage issue from the DOD, the VA is going to review that anyways and put their own percentage on it. Oh, yeah? Yeah, so it depends on actually what happens. But if you lose a leg or something like that or you're messed up pretty bad, they're going to take care of you because all the information is there. Yeah. You know, and uh, if you're, ser- you're seriously wounded in combat or seriously wounded, you know, in any situation as long as you're in service and they discharge you because of that and they retire you, uh, you know, uh, you're pretty much well set up anyways. Well, I you know, know right now that uh, if, if you've been seriously wounded and that's, you know, they can see the wounds, you had the leg blowed off or your arm or whatever, mm-hmm. uh, but if if you've uh, TBI uh, injuries, uh, which is a wound, as far as I'm concerned, TBI. Oh, it's bad. I mean, that's your brain slap and gets it, it out of your head. It uh, it's a serious wound, and yeah. and uh, it can be with you for forever, I guess. And uh, uh, now a lot of those folks are having trouble. Uh, that they've low-balled, give them low-balled service connections, and mm-hmm. have had to pipe tooth and nail just just to get uh, service connected, and that's not right. That's not right at all. They know if they were, you know, exposed to a a explosion, and uh, and. Uh, you know, you you knocked about fifty foot from where you were. You, you're going to have a TBI. You're going to have you're going to have some injury. Yeah, there's a lot of. You know, I've got a friend that's going to a hearing today. As a matter of fact, or to a CMP exam today. His main issue is a TBI. And uh, so we'll see what happens with that. TBI is a very bad thing. It is. So, it, I mean, it's and you know. I mean, I don't know. Can you compare it to having the leg blowed off? I don't know. Uh, well, it's <clears> serious. <throat> it, let's People just say it's a, a, it's a serious injury. Well, for example, you know, if you lose a leg or an arm or something like that, yeah, you know, you're you're, you're handicapped to the point to where you know you can't use that no more because it's not there. You know, if you blow the knee amputation. Or above the knee. Below the knee, they can put a, you know, you can pretty much get by. Or they can put a stump on you, and you can pretty much, you know, do things. But, uh, you know, if you're missing limbs and things like that, especially, you know, your hands, because your hands are, are the most important thing you've got. <clears throat> and uh, another issue is if a person's got a serious issue like a lung disease or, or say he's paralyzed in, inside his body and things like that, uh I think that should be basically the same as losing a limb because, you know, you have to have certain vital functions and organs working for you to live. Yes, you do. And no. uh, the VA don't want to recognize those. And, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, they can look at you. You have all 
four or five, you know, have all your lambs and stuff. And I said, well, he's okay. Uh, yep. uh, TBI injury, PTSD. Mm, uh, internal. Uh, internal issues that cannot be seen. Um, uh, they're serious. They're in they are, and, uh, you know, it's kind of a phantom injury because, especially with uh, post-traumatic stress disorder issues, I mean, you know, it's a psychological issue. Um, you get out and lose an arm or a leg or you break your neck or something like that, you know, they can, they've got medical tests and diagnostic issues they can run, you know, they can do MRIs, they can do x-rays, CAT scans, and ultrasounds, and they can actually see, you know, there's an injury issue there, and that's where you get medical documentation because it's there, you know, it's not going to change. Um, folks go with mental health issues, you know, they look at it. There's no medical test or that you can actually see, you know, through imaging or whatever it takes to diagnose that condition. And it takes a, a psychiatrist or, you know, it takes their actual opinion and their actual word as to, you know, what this guy's, you know, mental health issue is. It's a pretty strong study, you know, and, uh, but that's that's the worst thing about it, you know, and that would be the easiest thing for the VA to try to, you know, try to discombobulate and try to, you know, try to get rid of because they can go off the basis there's no actual physical proof this guy's got this issue, you know. Well, so they do, uh, unfortunately, way too much. Uh, and uh, as a rule, those are the veterans least likely able to fight uh, <laughs> For fight the system for their service connection. Uh, right. If if you're messed up psychologically or you have a TBI, uh, uh, you're just not not up to snuff. Uh, right. You you can't. It, it's difficult to cope with life, let alone have to deal with the VA. It's true. I want to give that a word of advice real quick before we close the show today. We've got a few minutes left. Um, folks, if you are service-connected 100% for a mental disorder, or if you're service-connected any percent, but are receiving TDIU, which is total disability individual, total disability individual employability, you know, means you get paid to 100% rate because you can't work. Don't work. Uh, if you receive a letter in the mail from the VA asking if you have worked, make sure that you fill that paperwork out and send it back whenever you receive it. And make sure you make a copy of it and send it, and, and send it a certified return receipt. I know of two or three veterans here in the last year that got their IU severed because they never received a letter. And, of course, the VA said they sent it, you know, which, you know, that's pretty I don't know, but you know, if facts received it or not, but uh, they had to fight to get it back, and it took them several months to get it back. And yeah. what they will do is they'll. And yeah. uh, some uh, didn't. Some have to even repay some money or something. Yeah, well, some actually did work and had the. Uh, some of them lost it, and you know, and that's being lucky because you used to repay the money back and things like that. You know, a lot of guys, you know, if, if the wrong person gets a hold of this, they put you in jail. Yes, they can. Yeah, so be careful out there. If you're drawing IU, don't work. And don't even think about it. Don't work. And the reason I said mental conditions is because the rating criteria for 100% uh, PTSD and mental health issues states that work is precluded. You cannot work. You know, so... That's what. Uh, that's it. In a nutshell. That's my. That's Bassard's advice for today. Anyways. Yeah, that's important. Yeah. You know. Well, John, we're we're out of time here. Well. So I think we ought to sign off. And, and okay. I had a website for sponsoring the podcast here. I'm already losing my voice. <laughs> That's okay. You'll get it back. I'll get her back. Um, yeah. 
Anyway, thanks for tuning in, ladies and gentlemen, and we hope to see you back here next Friday. We'll have another Basser Hour, and uh, this will be Gerald Cook and John Basser. We'll be signing off for now. <laughs>